Across the world, there is a sound, an echo of hope, a song of love, a shout of joy. It's the sound of the church rediscovering what it means to be the church. We're reaching back. We're reaching up. We're reaching out. Will you come along and join a movement 2,000 years in the making? This isn't a place of judgment or hypocrisy or perfect people. This is a place of freedom. This is a place of hope. This is a place to belong. Next Sunday is National Back to Church Sunday. It will be a royal bust if you don't invite someone. The whole idea is to invite someone to come along. Stats are pretty consistent that 80% of people not attending church say that they would come if a friend would invite them. So I want to encourage you. We have more of the invite cards that you'd be praying and thinking, who are you going to bring? We're going to have a great time with inflatables. Pray that, that the, the weather will be good. We're going to have food, um, activities, just going to have a great time together. Photo booths will be out. We're going to have a fun time and an opportunity for you to bring a friend to find out what the church is about. We are better together, amen? amen? And want people to understand that we have a place for them to be loved and cared for. And I've discovered something about us, about people. I was thinking about this the other day. How many of you like to own new things. <laughs> That's it? I know better than that. Let me see your hands if you like to own new things. I'm telling you, this week, I had to have a recall on my Ranger pickup. The airbag on the passenger side uh, is defective, and they say that if it's deployed, there's a likelihood that the motor that drives the airbag will explode, and if you live through the collision, you could be killed by the airbag. That'd be a terrible thing. And it's on the passenger side. <laughs> and I decided it was finally time to take care of that. And you know what's terrible about that? You have to go to a dealer. Do you know what dealers have? New things. New things. And so I wandered around a while until I got drug out of the place. I like new things. Most people like new things. But I've also discovered that while we like to own new things, many of us don't like to try new things. We're resistant. Now, some of you can't hold yourself back from a new thing. But for some, for many, trying a new thing, it's that interesting human paradox. We want to own something new, but we don't want to try something new. And so for you, inviting someone to come to church may be a new thing that you're resistant to try. Why not give it a try? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Someone told me this morning that being a part of this church is such a wonderful thing because when you succeed, people cheer you on, and when you have a problem, they're there to jeer you on. So we'll do whatever, uh, whatever you need 
um, in that moment. So think about trying something new. That resistance to new things has been around forever. I read about a German writer and bookseller, Johann Georg Heinzmann. Now listen, he was a bookseller and a writer. And he warned people in 1795 of the dangers of reading new things. A bookseller and a writer is worried about what will happen if you read, if you consume words. Here's what he said will happen if you consume words. Will lead to a weakening of the eyes, heat rashes, gout, arthritis, hemorrhoids, <laughs> asthma, pulmonary disease, indigestion, blocking of the bowels, nervous disorder, migraines, epilepsy, hypochondria, and melancholy. What in the world? Where did that come from? Reading. You've got to be careful. You read something new. Who knows? Now, those of you that hate to read, I've just given you all kinds of excuses that you can use to defend your lack. In 1803, preacher Jedediah Morse said, let us guard against the insidious encroachments of innovation. That evil and beguiling spirit which is now stalking to and fro through the earth, seeking whom he may devour. <laughs> I think that's The evils of that evil thing called innovation knew. In 1854, author Henry David Thoreau criticized the construction of a magnetic telegraph that would reach from Maine to Texas. And he objected this way. But Maine and Texas, it may be, have nothing important to communicate. So why do we need to do it? In 1906, John Philip Sousa said that the phonograph would cause the deterioration of American music. In 1926, the Knights of Columbus warned that the telephone would break up home life and the old practice of visiting friends. They may have been on to something. At the same time, a dean at Princeton observed that cars were becoming a threat to America's young people. The general effect of the automobile, wrote Howard McClanahan, was to make the present generation look lightly at the moral code. He worried that youths with cars would begin to drive all over the place on Sundays, everywhere but church, and, and automobiles would destroy the moral code of America. I do know that for years, youth pastors said there are two four-letter words that hamper youth groups, and those words are cars and jobs. <laughs> you have to have a car to go to your job, and you have to have a job so you can buy a car, and you have to have a car so you can go to your job, and you have to have a job so you can buy your car. Maybe there was something to that. And finally, in 2008, the Atlantic Magazine asked this question. Is Google making us stupid? That may be true. <laughs> that may be true. New things, we've always resisted those. And 
What I want to challenge us is to try something new in our Christian faith. Not to be satisfied with being satisfied, but to experience and desire the presence of God in our lives in a new and unique way through reaching out and inviting people to experience Jesus with us. Evangelism is an E-word that we need to redeem, and we're redeeming it with other E-words. With the E-word of encouragement, we're going to be encouragers. With the E-word of expression, we're going to be people of truth and honesty. Our word will be our bond as we practice our skills of communication, of entertaining, expressing hospitality, ministering to those in need in the body while loving those that are on the outside, the foreigner among us, and sharing our love. And this morning, the fourth key word, the E-word that will redeem the E-word is to engage, to engage, that as you engage people, you will in a unique way that most Christians never experience, you will engage the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to get this in your hands, in your mind, right at the beginning of the message. People in Pentecostal charismatic circles clamor for the power of God but are by and large unwilling to do what it takes to experience the power of God. We want to see the miraculous, but we're hoping it will show up without our investment. And so we fast and pray that there'll be miracles at church. Let me tell you, let me just tell you, the surest way, the most impactful way, the most powerful way for you to experience the power of God is to engage someone far from Jesus with the message of the gospel. I'm going to show you this morning that that's where the Spirit of God dwells. And if you want to experience his power, get involved in sharing the gospel. Jesus will always show up. Without going into all the gory details, I shared this with someone this past week. When you're sharing the gospel, God is faithful to show up. I was in a situation where I was dealing with, I'm not making this up, with a demon-possessed, homosexual, Lutheran pastor who claimed to be born again and speak in tongues. That's a lot to deal with. And I was full of wisdom and experience at 25 years old. That same morning that he came in, an attorney was scheduled to meet with me at 9, at 9 o'clock that morning. This man walked in at 8.30, was supposed to meet with me at 9 o'clock so we could deal with a child abuse case that he needed my testimony on. My life has always seemed to find some of those strange places to dwell And when I'm dealing with this Lutheran pastor sharing Jesus, let's just say that everything that happened got really, really bizarre. But by the time we were finished, the devil had been cast out of him. He had given his life to Jesus for real, according to biblical truths, had a vision of God's cleansing, redeeming power, danced in the spirit across the front of the auditorium, and it's 9.30. Remember, I have an attorney coming at 9 o'clock. And at five to nine, when all of this chaos is going on, 
I'm thinking, what am I going to do when an attorney walks in the auditorium and sees this happening? Because at our church, you went in the door and you were in the auditorium. When the man pulls out, the lawyer pulls in and he apologizes all over the place and he says, Pastor, you have no idea the kind of mourning I've had. <laughs> I said, yes, I do. Now, you can do with it what you want, but I can sit in my office. Listen, I can sit in my office and read and pray, and I should and need to, but I will never experience the power of God like I've experienced the power of God when dealing with people who don't know Jesus. That's when he'll show up. Do you want energy in your life? Do you want power in your life? Do you want to see the power of God in ways that will shake you to the core of your being? Step out into the waters of evangelism and see the enemy have to roll back while God does the supernatural. Your spiritual life will radically change and be ramped up if we will engage the Holy Spirit by engaging lost people. Are you trying to make us feel guilty? No, I'm just trying to tell you there's a great place to live. I'd like for all of you to find that place. Here's what I know to be true. We're going to look at the life of Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapter 8, if you want to turn there. And Philip is seeing this incredible revival go on, and Peter and John come down to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. A sorcerer gets saved. People are getting born again all over the place. It's an incredible experience, and he's been in the center of that. Then an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here's what happens. He's in the middle of this revival in Samaria, and God says, I want you to leave and go down to the desert and meet a guy from Ethiopia. That's quite a shift. That's a whole different direction. And in the text, here's a parallel of thought that is often overlooked. I want you to follow this with me. What did the angel of the Lord say? Arise and go. What did Philip do? He arose and went. <laughs> you know the key to the power of God? When God speaks, you obey instantly. When God said, arise and go, he arose and went. And that's why God was able to use Philip, the evangelist we call him, a deacon in the church, however you want to refer to him, in such a powerful way. Because when the Spirit of God or the angel of the Lord said, arise and go, he arose and went. And many of us lose the blessing and power of God because we don't obey the promptings of the Spirit immediately. Because what you'll do is you'll talk yourself out of it. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, you will. Here's, if Philip had not responded immediately, here's what would have happened. 
angel of the Lord says, arise and go. Now, why would God want me to leave the place where God's blessing? I've invested here. I've poured into here. I have a right to see. And this is a good thing. I have a right to see it through. And this is a good thing. People are getting saved here. Why do I need to arise and go down to the desert? This doesn't even make any sense. It can't be God because it doesn't make sense to me. And the revival would have continued, but the gospel to Ethiopia would have been forfeited. Have you ever been sitting in a service and there's a need presented like convoy and the first thought that comes to your head is I should give $1,000. And what do we do? We argue with why we can't afford it. Is there anybody in the house this morning? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Hold your hand up if you understand English. Okay, great. Great. I was, a little, I was afraid I was in the wrong place. I wasn't sure. It's because we argue ourselves out of the direction of God. How many of you have ever felt a prompting to go say something to someone and didn't? And you'll never know. But pastor, what if it was just me? You'll know. And thou shalt surely live through it. I read about a, a philosopher who was training a young disciple and said, what do, you, what do you want me to do today? It's going to rain. He said, I want you to walk around all day long with your nose in the air looking up. And so he's outside all day long with his nose in the air looking up. Came back to the philosopher and said, what have you learned today? He said, I've learned. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever had to do. I've learned today that when you walk around in the rain with your nose up in the air, you could drown. <laughs> Good first day lesson. Responding to the Spirit of God. If you talk to someone and God's not in it, uh, oh, wow, I'm, I'm getting off here a little bit, but I feel God speaking to someone's heart. I want you to... Think about this for a moment. Now watch. When you talk to someone, just because they say you're wrong doesn't mean you're wrong. A young man came forward at an altar service. He wanted to give his life to Jesus, but he's totally unresponsive. I began to pray for him, and God told me that he was a homosexual. And he needed that bondage broken. And he looked at me. No one else was close. I just said that to him one-on-one. -on -one, and he said, that's not true. I said, okay. I can accept that. And that prompting came again. And I said, but I know God and I know his voice. And rather than call him a liar, I'll call you a liar. You're not telling me the truth. We did that about three times. And then he began to open up about the bondage he'd been living in. Are you hearing me now? Just because they say it didn't apply doesn't mean it didn't apply. What we have to do is respond to that, that prompting of the Spirit. You're going to have times you're walking along and God just says, go to them, say something to them, obey that. And if you're wrong, you'll learn. We will not stone you. You'll grow from that. That's why we're to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, to experience it and put it to the test. Uh, when God says, arise and go, what should you do? Arise and go and see what will happen. 
Do I, do I always hit it? No, no. No. I, I missed one this week. I'm just going to admit to you, I missed one. My wife and I were at lunch, and there were a lot of things going on, and I saw a guy walk in, and I don't know what he was doing, but he had the big backpack, seemed like he had all his belongings with him, ordered a meal, a large water, and a large Coke. And I, I felt like just this light prompting that I should just walk over to his table, ask him how his day was going, and pray for him. And I didn't do it. And now for the rest of my life, I'll never know what God opportunity I missed in that restaurant because I talked myself out of it. I'm not telling you I always hit the ball. I'm telling you when you hit the ball, it makes you want to get up to the plate again. Hello? It makes you want to get up to the plate again. So I'm telling you when the Spirit of God says, arise and go, arise and go, and see what he'll do because this is what I know. The Holy Spirit will always go before you. He will always go before you. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, go, to the, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Why would he say that? Because the Holy Spirit already had a plan. He already had something in work, at work, and you will never step into a situation and step out there and be first. The Holy Spirit will always be there ahead of you. He's already been working on lives. In fact, I'm convinced I could walk up to any random stranger on the street and start to talk to them about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit would already have been there. The Holy Spirit was saying, was not saying, we need something for Philip to do today. I've got a plan, Philip. I've got it all set up, Philip. I just need an envoy. I need an evangelist. I need somebody to go. Will you go? He will always lead the way. At the end of the book of Mark, chapter 16, that wonderful Pentecostal text about the miraculous power of God, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And when they went out and preached, what happened? The Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. That word worked with them doesn't mean he was shaping them. It means to be a partner together, to help in the work, to labor together. He's saying that when they went out, why did the miracles of the book of Acts happen? Because they were always connected to the sharing of faith first time that I preached through the book of Acts. You got to think about that, how many weeks it takes to do a chapter a week and go through the book of Acts. And I thought, boy, going through the book of Acts, Pastor Tim, I thought we're going to be so empowered by the miraculous, the supernatural power of God. And you know what we saw when we went through it chapter by chapter? The emphasis was on reaching people with the gospel. And when you reach people with the gospel, miracles begin to happen to confirm the word because the Lord will, who, the Lord will work with you. Do you want him as your co-labor? Do you want him as your business partner? Do you want him walking by your side? Then begin to preach the gospel everywhere and the Lord will work with you. He will bring the supernatural to pass. The Holy Spirit always has a plan. No one loves the lost more than God does. I've shared this story before, but I grew up in a broken home and all the things that went with that and went to Bible college and my mother was not walking with the Lord at all and our home was in complete chaos and I'm standing up in the balcony of this conference 
and I'm just reaching out to God, and I'm bawling my eyes out, and I'm saying, God, if my mother dies and goes to hell, it's going to be my fault. I need to reach her. God, if my mother dies and goes to hell, it's going to be my fault. And he interrupted me, told me to dry my eyes because I was crying over the wrong thing. And he said, I love her more than you will ever understand, love. And I want her brought into the kingdom more than you could ever want her brought into the kingdom. And so if you'll walk with me, I'll work with you. But his love is bigger than ours. There isn't anyone you care about more than he cares about. There isn't anyone you love more than he loves. And he's already reaching out to them because the Holy Spirit always has a plan. He always has a plan. His entire plan for this planet is the redemption of the lost that will glorify his name. We say to students all the time in this broken world we live in that regardless of how you came into this world, you're not an accident. Maybe that your birth was unplanned, but you're not an accident. It could be that you survived an abortion, but you're not an accident. You could be the product of a rape, but you're not an accident. Because before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. And he had a direction for your life. Now watch this. Do you think the God who knew you and had a plan for your life before you're born, after you're born, has less of a plan? Or less of a purpose? Or if you get off the track, the one that he has identified being born on your birthday with your name in your hospital, that he's going to say, yeah, they've walked away, I'm going to ignore them. Are you kidding me? As a father loves his children, as a nurse or a mother, nursing mother cherishes her children, that's how he loves. And you have to see him loving this world more than you and I ever understand love. And so you will never get to anybody before Jesus gets to them before the Spirit of God touches them. He's always first. He will go before you. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is here to convict the world. John chapter 16 tells us that it is good for us that Jesus went away. Why? Because the counselor will not come. And I just get tired of hearing Christians say that Jesus went to heaven so the Holy Spirit could come so that he could be our counselor and our comforter. You ever read the rest of the text? You missed the point entirely. It's good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, what will he do? He'll convict the world. <laughs> Do you know how tough it would be to do anything for the kingdom without the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? He is here. He's in the world convicting the world of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, let me just ask you, when you talk to people unless they've been taught to be an atheist and have driven that out of them, even in an atheist community, everyone I've met has some sense that there are some things that are right. They have some sense that some things are wrong, and they have some sense that they're going to give an account to somebody. Where does that come from? That is what the Holy Spirit has been doing from the day that Jesus went to heaven. 
the Holy Spirit has been in this world, not just blessing the church, but convicting the world, making sure that everyone who comes onto this planet has a sense that some things are wrong. He convicts of sin, that some things are right. He convicts of righteousness and that we will give an account to somebody. He convicts of judgment. That's what the Spirit is doing. So think about the Spirit moving over the entire planet. And there's only one piece left. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them. These signs shall follow them that believe. The miracle power of God is released because he's already prepping the meal. My wife's a great cook. And we like to have company over. So I want you to imagine she's toiled all day. And I, you know, there are a lot of things I like. One of the things I like, other than pecan pie, is I like fried potatoes. Now, I can't, I can't eat those very often. I can't eat a lot of those. But that, I'm telling you what, you put a gallon bowl on the table, and if there's, not, if there's no restraint, I'll be unconscious on the floor with potatoes all over my face. <laughs> So I get that. It's not healthy. But imagine we're having some fried potatoes. And they, they have to not just be fried till they're soft and white. They have to be fried so they're brown. Yes. Yes. you got to be brown on at least one side. And I will pick those out of the bowl. I'm just telling you. Not eating those white things. I want a little brown. So imagine that I walk in and I smell those potatoes. My wife's busy. Table's set. Everything's ready. And she were to say to me, could you flip the potatoes? Oh, yes, dear, with a spatula in one hand and a fork in the other. This is going to be fun. And so I flip them a couple times, and then the guests come, and I take credit for the whole meal. Wouldn't that be horrible? The only reason I even had the opportunity to flip the potatoes is because she had set the table. I don't know if you just felt what I felt. The only reason you have an opportunity to share your faith with anyone is because he has already set the table. He's just asking somebody to flip the taters. Are you hearing me this morning? He's already setting the table. When you showed up, you didn't, you didn't create the environment. You didn't create the, emo- the moment. You're not giving conviction. You're just flipping the potatoes and understand wherever you go, the Spirit of God is here setting the table all around us. He will go before you. Let me tell you what else I know. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. <laughs> I don't know if you, if you know what that's like, 
What a boring Christian life to just have an intellectual faith that has no sense of the charge of the Holy Spirit. There are times while I'm preaching that I think, dear God, why have you forsaken me and left me up here all alone by myself with these people staring at me like I have a third eye on my forehead? And then there are other times where you just feel the Holy Spirit land on you. I've been in the counseling office and someone's telling me all their stuff and I'm telling you, you can read all the books in the world and you can't be prepared for everybody that comes to you. But I'll tell you, there's a moment when I'm talking to someone and you feel him come on you. It's why I get up in the morning Jesus, is there another opportunity today that you will need me, that you'll call on me, and since you've gone before me, that you will come upon me? There's a power of God that comes on the person that engages lost people. The Spirit, now watch, when this journey for Philip started in Acts chapter 8, an angel of the Lord said, go to the desert. Why? Because I don't think that Philip would have heard any other message. How many of you, if an angel appeared to you and spoke to you, would pay attention? You wouldn't. You're all that kind of people. All right. I would, wouldn't you? An angel appeared and said, be on time for church this week. How many of you are? (laughs) Yes. Yes. There's a word from the angel. He's on his way. And then in verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, that's the chariot. That's the chariot. There may be a variety of ways that it gets your journey started, but there need to be those moments that you hear the voice of the Spirit of God, and and he'll say, that's the one. That's the direction you need to go. There's a change in spiritual conversation. The Spirit speaks directly to Philip with clear direction, an active engagement with and by the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times in my ministry someone will say, well, the Holy Spirit never talks to me. (laughs) It could be because you're not doing anything worth talking about. Did I just say that out loud? (laughs) Did that actually come out of my mouth? If you want to hear him speak, you want to engage him. Prepare yourself to engage lost people. And you never know when those questions will come. And I I have an occupational hazard. I deal with all of you, and most of you are believers. And my life, and that's a good thing, and I love what I do, but I have to go find lost people. It can be done. You can go find them. I'm at the gym this week, and someone walked up to me and said, hey, my sister wants to know, you're a pastor, my sister wants to know, what happened to Jesus in those three days he was in hell? Did he suffer there? Well, let me get back to you on that one. What do you do? That's not the real question. That question led to other questions about what happens after we die. And I had this whole conversation about why we don't believe in purgatory, that we believe when you die, you either go to heaven or hell. There's no in-between. You mean right after we die? Yes. 
You're either in the presence of the Lord or you're in the place of suffering. And who do you have forgive your sins? His name is Jesus. There's only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, and he bore my sins, and he becomes my go-between. I'm telling you what, I I felt like I was on fire in that moment because I'll tell you that when you don't know all the answers and you're not ready to be prepared, listen to the voice of the Spirit because he has a way to lead you out of the immediate question into the one that will change their life. Jesus rarely answered the questions they asked but he went to the question they needed the answer to. Well, I don't know about that, but I'll tell you what's going to happen to you after you die. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Philip had to listen to the voice of the Spirit. There's something overwhelmingly exciting, overwhelmingly powerful when you hear the Spirit of God speak to us. Pentecost has always been about evangelism. It's always been about evangelism. Acts chapter 2 is not about tongues and fire. It's about tongues and fire that created an atmosphere where 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. The initial promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts is chapter 1, verse 8, and you will be witnesses to me. I don't want to be harsh. I just want you to hear me. I wish that Pentecostal churches around the country were as concerned about using their spiritual power for evangelism as they are wondering why we don't see more spiritual power in the sanctuary. That we would have that same passion because the gift came You've heard me say this before, not so that we could have cool church, but so that we could tear down the strongholds of hell and snatch men and women from the burning and bring them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the empowerment of the Spirit is all about. Pentecost is about evangelism. Now, this may seem really similar, but let me tell you what I know about engaging the lost. I know that the Holy Spirit will go before you. I know that the Holy Spirit will come on you. And then I know that the Holy Spirit will flow from within you. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Do you realize in that short amount of time, one conversation on a desert road, an Ethiopian treasurer who's gotten a hold of a Bible for the first time in his life, in fact, he says, when Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I except some man should guide me? I have no idea what I'm reading here. And in a short conversation, the man repents of his sins, gives his life to Jesus, and wants to be baptized in water. Why? Because the evangelist was so effective and well-prepared? Absolutely not. It's because the Spirit of God is that powerful. I've watched the Spirit of God do in a minute what months of counseling could not accomplish. There is power when the river of life flows out of you. Let me give you this picture from the 
Gospel of John, and there's some theologians that will disagree with me, and I am totally content to let them be wrong. John chapter 4, woman at the well. Jesus meets with her to give her water, and what promise does he give her? He says to her, this water that I give you will be a well of water springing up in you to eternal life. When you give your life to Jesus, you get your own well. It's a well of the life of God that is intended to satisfy you and sustain you. It's not initially about others. That is about you. He's changing you and redeeming you and puts a well in you because then he says to her, you will never thirst again. So if you need something in your life, what do you need to do? Go back to the well you got when you got saved. Go back to that altar of prayer. Go back to the word of God and start drinking from that well. The well of money will not satisfy. The well, the well of fame will not satisfy. The well of popularity will not satisfy. The well of hobbies will not satisfy. But there is a well springing up on the inside of me that when I go back to that well and I go back to that word, Word, and I go back to that prayer that that well is fresh again and I never have to thirst again because I got a well when I got saved. Hello? <laughs> well, that felt good to me. Pull it up. Then you go down to John chapter 7. And Jesus, the Bible says, in that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Same invitation. One was to a woman at the well, come and drink and you'll never be thirsty again. This one's different. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink and out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What's the difference? This spake he of the Spirit, for the Spirit was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. That river's for others. There is a salvation experience that satisfies you, and then there's a river of life flowing out from me. Anybody remember that old song? There's a river of life flowing out from me. Help me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. There's a river of life flowing out. Spring up a well. See, that's where the song is messed up. Because the spring up a well is salvation. The river of life is to open prison doors, and the two of them are both in you. And I will tell you that if you let the river flow out of you, you will need that well to spring up in you. They both need to be happening. I don't have a problem with the song, but the idea that we think the river and the well are both for us, the, the well is for you, the river's for the lost. And can I tell you that there's something overwhelmingly satisfied when I feel the river of God begin to flow in me and I experience the 
river of God beginning to flow out of me and that God is doing something supernatural. When Jesus was touched at the hem of his garment, he said, virtue has gone out of me. Goodness has gone out of me. Something's come out of me. Every believer needs to desire to be in that place where the power of God flows out of you and you feel something coming out of you that flowed into you. There's a river of life. Do you really believe that? I believe it enough to sit in a college classroom when an Iowa State professor mocks me and says, do you really believe that someone praying a prayer will have their life changed? And I said, rather than tell you what I believe, why don't you put a student in the middle of the room and let me share Jesus with them and see what happens? I'm that confident of the river. What happened then? He swore at me and closed the class because the devil in him didn't want to give opportunity for the Jesus in me to impact that room. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Had nothing to do with me, had nothing to do with him. The demon spirit that drove him was not willing to see a river of life released in that room. I'm telling you the truth. There's a river of life that is dammed up on the inside of you. Most Christians never experience because they're afraid to share their faith. They're afraid to get out in the battlefield. They're afraid to let that happen. And, and there is only one way for you to experience that kind of power. When the well is springing up in you, get ready for the river to flow out of you. And there'll be those moments. I don't know how to describe it, but there are those moments when I'll be talking to someone or ministering to them. And it's like I'm seeing through their eyes into the depth of their soul, not reading anything, but knowing that the Spirit Spirit of God is doing something in that life right then and there. And if you've never had that, you don't need to be on a prayer team. You don't need a new bottle of anointing oil. You don't need a class on the supernatural. Do you know what you need? You don't even need a class on evangelism. Begin to talk to people who don't know Jesus and watch that river begin to flow out of you, assuming, as, as uh, David Breer would say, assuming, you should assume that everyone has need, that everyone has pain that everyone has, uh, uh, there's an opportunity. And I'm telling you, you should also assume that the Spirit of God is, is at work before you ever get there. He goes before you. <laughs> right now, I could use an organ run or something. He goes before you. He will come on you. And he will flow out of you. Where is the power of the Spirit of God? How will we change the word evangelism? No one who has ever experienced evangelism will resist the word evangelism. Let's stand together. So now what do we do? Well, now I try to make you feel guilty and promise to do something you don't want to do. That's called an altar call. <laughs> Not at all. I'm going to invite you to try something new. I'm going to ask you this week to try something new. Invite someone to come with you Sunday. More people make commitments to Christ, to Christ at church than anywhere else on the planet. Invite someone to come to you. Ready to pray a prayer with me? 
Not till I know what it is. First church I pastored, one of the men in the church had a group of men that got together and prayed every morning. And he said, Pastor, I, I don't know what to do. I never, no one ever comes across my path. We meet every Monday morning and I just do my stuff. I said, I want you to change the way you pray. I want you every morning to pray this prayer. Jesus, send someone across my path today that I can minister to. I want you to pray that every day. Jesus, send someone across my path today that I can minister to. And if he doesn't send anybody, it's on him. And be at peace. Well, I know how to fix that. I will not leave my basement till next Sunday. Out in the world where you live, Jesus, send someone across my path today. It might be as simple as someone saying, their dog died. And you can minister in that moment. That's all I'm telling you. There's a place of spiritual excitement that you'll never want to leave begin to engage people far from God with the message of hope. So while Pastor Nathan plays, would you just in a moment, in your own way, pray that prayer, Jesus, this week. Send people across my path. Now, let me tell you the rest of the story. What happened when this, when this guy began to pray that? The next Sunday when I saw him, he said, you won't believe what happened this week. And I said, oh, oh, yes, I would. Because he's already He's already setting the table. He's just waiting for someone to flip the taters. Will you be the one that helps finish the meal? Will you be the one? Would you show yourself in for a moment? Say this week, God, give me an awareness. Send someone across my path. Show me someone that I can talk to, someone I can share with. Oh, 
you to try something new this week. Ask God to send someone across your path, and I want you to remember this morning, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an abrupt shift. Do you have a Hammond sound on there? Yes. I need to get it Oh, you don't? You can't just, can you just whip it up there? Here we go, yeah. That's it, I like that. There we go. Okay. That's what I'm looking for. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. This week, you're going to share your faith, and the Holy Ghost will come upon you. Then he will come on you. Then he'll flow through you. Remember that this week. I want you to have that experience. Shake someone's hand, be an encouragement to someone today.